Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now a reading from Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick and in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. This morning, we're gonna look at the parable of the sheep and the goats, which I believe is a way of understanding what and who matters to Jesus. We're gonna look at it from one side and then flip around and look at it from the opposite side. You know how sometimes a story can become so familiar that you don't even realize how troubling it is or how out of step it is with the rest of the bigger story? If you're a parent, you have definitely encountered this. Hey kids, it's Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. Guess what, a man we've never met watches us when we're sleeping and when we're awake, and then he sneaks into our house and he eats our food. Also, he leaves presents, I mean, probably, only if you're good. And if not, he leaves a lump of coal. Number one, kids don't know what coal is. And that's like the least of the problems here, right? Stranger watching us, everything we do breaks in. It's a weird story. Another weird one, the tooth fairy. 
This one's a little better because the sweet little fairy is less scary than a big man in the night, but also, who collects other people's teeth? That little fairy is a creeper. And this story, the parable of the sheep and the goats, depending on how you understand it, has sort of that same vibe. So there's a God who created you, and he loves you unconditionally, and also sometimes he's going to dress up like assorted human people and test you, and even though it seems like in all the other stories, all you have to do is believe in him and trust in him, in this story, there's like a human obstacle course of people to help, and if you don't help them all, then that God, who you thought loved you unconditionally, actually ghosts you forever. It is a weird story. The good news is, that's not the story. This is not a story about a holy God testing and tricking the people he loves, hoping they don't fail and then shrugging his shoulders when they do and walking away forever. This is Jesus' beautiful and healing vision for what a nation could be. This is a loving leader inviting his followers to share his sacred and radical imagination for a better way to be a community, a more whole and healed way of being than the empire that ruled their lives. There are three theologians, N.T. Wright, Brian Zahn, and Paul Nectarline, And their work really helped shape a new understanding of this parable for me. And there are two shifts in translation that these theologians suggest. And they unlock a new meaning for this whole parable. So it's commonly understood that this is a parable about individuals at the time of judgment. Each person will be judged individually, and that judgment will take place after death on earth, before eternal life begins. However... What these scholars suggest is that this is a story about nations, not about individuals. And if you pay close attention to that phrase, all the nations gathered, it's the nations that will be judged, not the individuals. The second shift, many of us have read this parable and understood the judgment time as the same judgment that's been talked about other times in the Bible, the time when our earthly lives end. These theologians, though, suggest that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about judging each nation according to the standard of his kingdom on earth here and now. So we're not talking about individual judgment, and we're not talking about a moment at the end of our earthly lives. But instead, we're talking about the way Jesus would judge nations, not on the day of judgment, But then, and now, and always, measuring a nation's values and priorities against the values and priorities of the kingdom of Jesus being established here on earth. Jesus is offering us a vision for what a nation should be at any point in history, anywhere in the world. And it's a vision for a nation that cares for the poor, for the sick, for the immigrant, and for the prisoner. Jesus says that a nation that cares only for the healthy, wealthy, free, and established is out of balance. And that's a refrain that we see throughout Jesus' teaching. It's not enough to do what most people would do and most nations would do. He's inviting us to imagine a much wider, much more beautiful, totally different way of building a culture, a different way of using power. 
So why doesn't Jesus mention that nations must care for the rich, the healthy, the people who are at home, and the free? I think this is sort of a file under things that don't need to be said, right? These are the norms, culturally. This is how things are then and now. No one needs to be reminded to look out for the healthy, the wealthy, the free, the power holders. Looking out for those people groups is baked into the system over and over and over. He doesn't mention these groups because he doesn't have to. Nobody forgets these groups. It's like saying, hey, make sure you're really nice to that pretty girl. Don't worry, everyone always is. I think in this parable, there's certainly a challenge. There's also a comfort. Some of us in our community are sick. Some are sick right now, and some have been sick for many years. And we live in a culture that largely renders sick people invisible. If you've been sick for a long time, there may have been moments when you wonder, does anyone care about the pain that I'm feeling? Has everyone forgotten the weight of illness and what it's done to my life? And in this parable, Jesus says, I see you, and I care about you. And any nation shaped according to my vision will care about you too. For any of us who love someone who's gone to prison or is currently in prison, it's easy to wonder, has that person I love so much been forgotten? Do they matter to anyone but me? And Jesus says, I see you, even in prison, and my vision for a healthy nation includes caring for your needs too. Many many members of this church community have emigrated, have left the countries and traditions and homes you were raised in, and have come here. And Jesus' vision is that you would not be treated as an exile, but like a neighbor, not an intruder, but a brother or a sister. Many of us have either experienced poverty firsthand or care deeply for people who have or who are living in poverty now. In our culture, the pain of poverty is deepened by the added pain of invisibility. And again, what this parable reminds all of us is that the way of Jesus forces us to see not just the wealthy but the poor, not just the firmly established but the immigrant, not just the free but the prisoner, not just the healthy but the sick. Here's a question, why do we avoid and distance ourselves from those groups? Why do we downplay those aspects of our own experience or those identities in ourselves? I think these are questions worth asking. It's easy to see only the shiny, polished, pretty, have-it-all-together people. It's much more difficult to face the open wounds of poverty and illness, and I have an idea why because we don't want to be reminded of our own fragility, our own vulnerability, our own shame or weakness or failings. I work with a team of people, and what we do is offer training and skill development to different leaders and teams. We invite people into conversations about leadership and courage and integrity, and one of the requirements of being a part of this team is that you don't just teach other people these skills and practices. You practice them yourself. You have to know these skills and this work deep in your bones. That's what they say. And so from time to time, we gather together, and some of it feels like training, and some of it actually feels a lot like group therapy. And as I studied this parable, I thought back to some of the work our team did together on the topic of unwanted identities. Essentially, each of us, for all different reasons, has a couple identities that would be like the worst for us, 
Like, you can call me this, or you can call me that, but if you think I'm this one thing, it strikes to the very core of who I so desperately don't want to be. And on this team, there are both men and women from all over the world. We range in age from our 20s to our 70s. We have different professional backgrounds, religious backgrounds, cultural and political perspectives, and yet, the common denominator for nearly all of our unwanted identities came down to one thing, weakness, fragility, the need to be protected. All of us, no matter our background, had a profound aversion to being perceived as weak, fragile, or in need of help. And so I think something cyclical happens when you only see, when you only live in a culture that only values the wealthy, the healthy, the free, the established, you begin to hate the parts of yourself that are different than that. You hide those parts and you don't want to be reminded of them. But what if we lived in a world where both sides, healthy, wealthy, free, and also poor, sick, imprisoned, were seen and cared for and valued? Many of us find ourselves wanting to hide those weaker or more fragile sides of ourselves. We want to align as much as possible with this dominant, powerful group. We want to show our shiny selves, not our weak or sick selves, because sick equals invisible, poor equals invisible, imprisoned equals invisible. But Jesus says, that's not the world I'm inviting you into. That's not my imagination for what a whole and thriving culture looks like. Jesus is asking us to imagine a nation that sees and embraces and includes every aspect of our humanity. The healthy and the sick, the rich and the poor, the founders and stakeholders, and also the immigrants and the refugees, those who have power and those who have none. Because Jesus' way of living is able to hold it all. No hiding or pretending, no distancing or othering. If we were all able to see the world as Jesus does, there wouldn't be stigma or shame attached to some categories, and there wouldn't be status and value connected to others. All human, all valued, all seen, all welcome. I want to mention three leaders and scholars who have influenced my understanding of unwanted identities, of power dynamics, and of compassion and mercy and action. First, Brene Brown, my friend and mentor. Second, Kimberly George, a scholar at Yale and also my neighbor. And pastor and theologian and friend, Danielle Schroyer. And I very much recommend her book. It's called Original Blessing. I also really recommend Brian Zahn's book, A Farewell to Mars. This week, I invite you to spend some time considering unwanted identities. What do you most desperately not want to have someone say about you? Why? What does that reveal about you? What are specific ways that you could move toward these groups that Jesus, mentioned, that Jesus mentions? In proximity, in relationship, in service. And what are some ways that you can consciously unhook yourself from the power of these dominant identities. Jesus' vision is one where everyone is seen, everyone is cared for, everyone is valued. What are you doing to bring that vision to reality? I mentioned that we were going to talk about this parable from two different directions, first from one side, then the other. We looked at the human side of this parable, and now we're going to talk a little bit about actual sheep and actual goats. Earlier this week, I spoke with one more expert, my friend Blossom, who is currently raising a pack of 12 fainting goats in Holland, Michigan. What I learned is that sheep are known for being docile, 
Easy to herd, but to be honest, a little bit dumb. Goats, on the other hand, incredibly intelligent, resistant to authority outside their pack, and they do have a reputation for destroying things. Another friend of mine grew up on a dairy farm and one of the neighboring farms had both sheep and goats and when I asked her about it, she said, oh yeah, goats will eat and break absolutely everything and they especially like to kick cars. When I spoke to Blossom, it was like talking to any mom who really loves her kids but definitely knows what's up. I was like, Blossom, so I heard that goats have a reputation for being violent and mean and destructive. And she said, oh, I wouldn't say destructive. I would say curious. And then she said, but yeah, they will definitely step on and headbutt each other's babies. Another person I spoke with described goats as walking furry egos. Another thing I learned, sheep and goats have to be separated for at least two reasons. First, because goats will injure sheep. The way goats interact with each other is like really violent and apparently it's okay among the goats themselves, but sheep were just not made that way and they get really badly injured if they're left in the same pen as goats. Also, the way that a shepherd interacts with each kind of animal is completely different. One shepherd said a shepherd's job is to protect the sheep from their environment, and a shepherd's job is to protect the environment from the goats. Also, when building a fence for goats, the rule is if water can get through that fence, so can a goat. And we live in a culture that values these sort of goat characteristics, intelligence, independence, toughness, willing to break any obstacle in our path. This is like action hero stuff. This is American dream stuff. I'll do it my way. I'll look out for myself. I don't need help and I don't need to be told what to do. Sheep in our culture do not enjoy the same respect. We refer to people as sheeple when we feel like they blindly follow their leader. We denigrate people who need to be protected, who need care, who need guidance. It's back to those unwanted identities. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. In Jesus' vision for humanity, we can bring our whole selves, the fragile and weak parts of ourselves, alongside the powerful and strong parts of ourselves. In Jesus' vision for humanity, when we're sick, when we're exiled, when we're imprisoned, we don't become invisible or unwanted. This shepherd doesn't banish the weak, but he protects and guides and looks out, especially for the weak, the forgotten, and the sick. It's not lost on me that I'm standing right now in the chapel of the Good Shepherd, that our church community bears the name Good Shepherd. Are you willing to be led by the shepherd, or will you choose independence, destruction, toughness, Will you permit yourself to be guided, cared for, protected, or are you so invested in your identity as smart and strong and beholden to no one that you'll miss out on connection and care? Yet again, our culture might have it wrong. There's a lot to be said for sheep, for being humble enough to follow a shepherd. As I was reading and researching this week, all of a sudden I thought, where have I heard these words and phrases before? And then I realized two places. First, these are so many of the words and phrases we say every week in our unity prayer. All are welcome at the table of God, every man, woman, and child. One heart, one family, one new humanity. 
So neither race nor class, gender nor sexuality, politics nor religion, personality nor nationality, Christ the prisoner and the naked, Christ the hungry and the sick, Christ the thirsty and the stranger, Christ the other. For we are all welcome at the table of God, every man, woman, and child. I'm so grateful to be a part of a community that centers itself on this idea every single week. The other thing that these words and ideas remind me of, they sound like marriage vows, richer, poorer, sickness, health. Aaron and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage this coming August, 20 years ago, when we made vows to each other like every young bride and groom. We could never have imagined how much sickness and pain and loss we would experience. On your wedding day, you imagine richer, better health and health and more health. And we've had seasons like that. But the bond of marriage is forged in pain and loss and suffering and weakness. And Aaron has cared for me in ways I could have never imagined all those years ago. I hate that I've needed it, right? Those unwanted identities. I'm strong, I'm fine, I'm like a smart, mean goat who doesn't need anybody. But that's not true. Aaron shows me what it is to be cared for in sickness, not just celebrated for strength. And there's an image in the Bible of the church as the bride of Christ. The God of all creation has joined himself in a covenant with humanity like a groom to a bride, seeing and caring for and esteeming and treasuring even the weakest and most fragile among us. What a beautiful image. I believe there are moments that call for prose and moments that call for poetry, and this season to me is one for poetry. Because poetry is the language of unknowing, of scratching at the edges of an idea or a feeling, instead of plunging in with neat, organized sentences. And so as I thought about the bride and the bridegroom, about humanity and eternity, I thought of Mary Oliver's beautiful poem, When Death Comes. When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and take takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades. I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular. And each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does towards silence and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up having simply visited this world. 
that last line, I don't want to end up having simply visited this world. I don't want to hide out, protected by wealth and health, dipping my toes into just the very shallow end of life. I don't want to spend my life pretending and posing, hiding my sickness and my weakness. I don't want to avoid or shy away from all the things in this world that make me scared and uncomfortable. I don't want to be so concerned with being perceived as smart or independent or shiny or strong that I miss the call of the shepherd and his vision, not just for me, but for all of us, for the thriving and dignity and healing of all of us. I want to be humble and tender and brave enough to follow the shepherd, to see in the poet's beautiful words, each body a lion of courage and something precious to this earth. I want to follow the shepherd and take the world into my arms. Jesus shows us how we were made to interact with one another, where we all understand ourselves as more similar than different, as interdependent and interconnected, where status and power are not conferred only upon some, but where the healthy and the sick, the imprisoned and the free, the established and the immigrant live together with love and dignity. This is the way of Jesus. This is God's heart for every nation, in every century, in every part of the world. We live in a culture that elevates one and renders the other invisible. We give status to one and stigma to the other, and the work for every Christian is to follow the lead of our shepherd away from status and stigma, away from us and them, away from powerful and powerless. We follow our shepherd as we express the dignity, the beauty, and the immeasurable worth of every human life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.